Often our questions for ourselves and others are what to do next. On today's episode, your questions and some perspective from us on what's the next step. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 131. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And on today's show, your questions, and in fact, hadn't planned to do a Q&A show today, but we ended up receiving a few questions this week. Uh, both of them related to next steps on what to do next. And so we thought we'd tackle them and set aside our other uh, planned topics and uh, go for it. And I just love hearing from the Coaching for Leaders community and hearing about what's important to you, what you're thinking about, so that we can address your questions. And joining me on today's show is Bonnie Stahoviak. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. And hello to the audience. I am so glad you're back. Uh, I know people always enjoy hearing your voice and your perspective as well, too. And I love that you and I sometimes approach these questions with different perspectives. So, um, you know, it's that's one of the nice things about talking about coaching and leadership is there's not one right way to do it. And I hope that as you're listening to some of the questions from our community and just our dialogue around these questions, that you may think of what are some things that would work for you and then set aside the things that won't. And we'll go from there on hopefully giving you a next step that you can take on these as well. So our first question here is, I believe, from uh, Chris. Hang on. Hi, Dave. I'm Chris. And first of all, I'd like to thank you for giving the opportunity to post questions for your show. I hope you can help me with my current concern. Actually, I'm a manager of a support group for our production group. And we've been supporting the team for the longest time. Um, by reports and analysis, which all of us agreed to publish. And it also includes our improvement recommendations, but it seemed like they're not utilizing those. So we had a meeting early this week, and my frustrations came out involuntarily, which caused negative reactions from the group. I would like to be very honest with the team, because at the end of the day, we're still one group. And, but... I'm really having problems controlling my emotions. I hope you can provide tips for me. Thanks, Dave, and more power. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for this question. And when you, I first listened to this question after you recorded it, I thought to myself, wow, I think all of us have had this happen to us at one time or another where we've said something in a meeting or written an email or said something to someone over the phone and then instantly regretted it or maybe wondered, gosh, what's a better way I could have approached this of maybe if I hadn't lost my cool or approached it a little differently. And so I think this is a really common thing that many leaders do face. And I have a bunch of thoughts on this. And um, Bonnie, you want me to start or do you want to yeah, sure. Do you have some thoughts? Okay, so I have a few thoughts, and and I don't I don't know if any of these would have specifically helped in your situation already, Chris. But I think that part of the part of the challenge here for all of us is to recognize that we all have hot buttons. And in fact, Bonnie, I know sometimes you you will use the language triggers. I think there's that's some of the psychological language that's used around this in the literature. Um, is there are certain things for all of us that push our buttons that get us over. Um, get us out of our zone of stability and tend to be the things that annoy us or anger us. 
And I think that one thing that's really helpful to do is to know what those are. And I say that, Chris, because now that you've had this experience where you've had something that has put you in a situation which has caused some of that emotion to come out, this may provide some more perspective on that. So just one example. I know for me, one of my hot buttons is when I am overwhelmed. So if I am... If I have a lot going on on a particular day, or if I have a ton of email, or if I have overbooked myself for a day or for a week, um, that is a time that I'm particularly susceptible to being short with people, to giving feedback that maybe I didn't quite phrase in the way I wanted to. So knowing what your hot buttons are and what some of your triggers are, or what are situations that are going to put you in those, um, is I think very valuable uh, to know. And then if you know that, you can do some different things with it. So if you know, if you can recognize that, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think is, is helpful to do is to try to delay making any decisions or taking any action in the moment. So if you see that situation come up or that action happen, that you can stop yourself and say, okay, wait, I don't need to necessarily make a decision on this right now. Happened to me just this week. I was uh, uh, received an email that was a frustrating email about a situation I wasn't aware of. Uh, with a situation with a client we were working with. And um, and I started typing back an email and made some assumptions. And I was about halfway through the email and one of the parties who was on the email conversation called. And I'm really glad that they did because it changed my perspective on some of the things I would have put into that email. And I realized if I had just sent it, I would have been responding in the moment and responding with a little bit of anger. And because I uh, because that person interrupted me, <laughs> it caused me to rethink the situation. And so that's an example of just um, something I should have done for myself is really stepping back and taking a little bit more time and processing something before making a decision. That's not always possible to do that in a meeting, but to the extent that we can step back, take five or 10 minutes to think through a situation, maybe get some feedback from someone else that can be really helpful. I have a few other thoughts too, Bonnie, but you, uh, your facial expression told me you had a thought maybe on something I had said already or something to add in there. No, I was having a behind the scenes moment of, yes, you do tend to have that when you get overwhelmed. So <laughs> sorry, my apologies for my transparency, but no, I was thinking, yes, certainly we can all get there. And I have, I have seen you do that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good. <laughs> in fact, I think perhaps last night, but no, sorry. Yes, a little uh, too much information for our listening wow. audience. Yeah, it it's uh you know well and we just had a baby and yeah. uh, we have family in town yeah it's and it's it's challenging and so it's <laughs> and I think that's something I know that about myself though mm -hmm. I know that when I have a lot going on and I get overwhelmed that that is not a good time for me to make decisions on things it's not a good time for me to handle uh, high level strategic stuff work wise or personal and so it's better for me just to kind of get through the day handle the things I need to handle set aside other things not worry about you know long term stuff. And that, that's something I've had. I've learned the hard way, though. And yeah. I've learned because I've gotten into some of those tough situations with you and with other people. In my and life. I do apologize for making a joke out of it, because in all seriousness, I think one of the first steps is when we're self-aware. Mm. And so you kind of started along that lines as you were giving advice to Chris to say, are you starting to see a pattern here of when you might experience some sort of a trigger? Is it when you're overwhelmed? Those those kinds of things. So I certainly didn't mean to make a joke, but but couldn't help it. I do ask also as a side note, by the way, think it helps us in life sometimes when we can not take ourselves 
and each other that seriously. And the fact that we can be here less than however many 12 hours later and be laughing is a really good sign. Cause I think we're yeah. both very self-aware oh, and, yeah. and aren't going to try to punish each other when we're not at our best. And by the way, this is both of us not at our best, not just you, but because <laughs> I haven't been at my best either. It's, it's when you get that sleep deprivation going, it, it happens. And so I, I think that will be helpful to you. One thing that I really picked up on, and speaking of triggers, we always have to be careful when we're addressing questions because we can read so much into it. And Chris, one of the things you said, you said a phrase, something to the akin of, I, I've been doing this and I've been doing it involuntarily. And I would really challenge you to think a little deeper and reflect on that a bit. Because I think when we start to tell ourselves in life that we're doing things involuntarily, we're getting ourselves, at least in my experience, into a little bit of a bad pattern. You sound like you have been having sort of flashes of anger or communicating in a manner that you don't think represents how you want to be as a leader. That's what I pick up on when I hear your question. But when you say something, I've been doing this involuntarily, you immediately remove your power to make a choice in the future to do something differently. So I would encourage you to perhaps phrase that a little bit differently mm. and and try not to, to let yourself off the hook by starting with that. I've been, I, it's sort of when people talk about, oh, I do that, but that's just how I am. I think, well, okay, then there's nowhere left to go. And again, I don't mean to be so harsh about just one particular word that you used. It happens to be a trigger word for me because my belief is that we all do things by choice. And when we don't feel like we're doing it by choice, we need to spend a lot of time reflecting so we can start to see why don't we see that as a choice that we're making. And one of the things, which again, very well might be me reading into it, is as a woman, I know for myself, I was really raised that you know, women were supposed to be good girls, were supposed to be sweet. There's that poem that I really, really don't like that's about little boys are made of uh, puppy dog tails and... Oh, I know what you're talking about. And, Ironically, we have it posted somewhere in. Uh, <laughs> I like the. I actually like the Luke's the way room. that the that the phrase the part of it that they chose is phrased. But yeah, I don't like the puppy dog tails or snails or something. Girls are sweet and nice and good and and boys are rough and tough and tumble. I, I think that that's a dynamic that when we start to get into the workplace as women makes it where we feel like it's not okay for us sometimes to be expressing frustration or to be taking on a real directive leadership role. So one of the things, and, and I don't know, Chris, I have no idea if this is part of your question, but I, I do wonder when I speak to women, just how comfortable they are in leadership roles of sort of addressing when there are disappointments. It sounds like the team hasn't been meeting goals, hasn't been addressing the expectations. So there are a couple things there. First of all, if it's an entire team, that's an interesting dynamic. Or is it one person where really you need to be having the conversation one-on-one? -on -one? So are you having courageous conversations one-on-one -on -one and addressing a lack of expectations? Or are you trying to do that in a group setting, which we've talked about many times before and not, you don't want to be trying to manage lacks uh, when expectations aren't being met in a group. Those, those are courageous conversations that should happen one-on-one. -on -one. And then also just in terms of the group, a couple of things that came to mind. One is that I would highly encourage you to be starting with questions, not accusations. So this was the goal. This is the expectation. This is what 
the company was aiming for and we didn't hit that gap, can we talk together about some reasons why that might have happened? Let's get that listed out and then and then how we might avoid that in the future. So I would to me the most courageous and and I guess leaders that really draw out the best in other people and draw out really the conflict that needs to happen is done by asking questions. So I would really really encourage you to start first of all think about that phrase I'm doing it involuntarily and maybe reframing that in your own mind if that's helpful for you. And again, it may have just been a phrase that that just casually got mentioned, but if it's something you might want to reflect on, consider that. I would also consider starting with questions. And then the last thing is I'm reading a book. I, I must tell you I'm very early on in the book, but I listened to the woman's TED talk. It's Bren, Bren oh, Brown. Oh, Bren, Brené Brown. Yeah, and yeah. so that's a TED Talk about vulnerability, and Dave will put a link to that in the show notes. It's a wonderful TED Talk, 16 minutes, and I could listen to it time and time again and get something rich out of every time. So I'm reading the book that is associated with her talk. It's called Daring Greatly. And if any of what I said resonated with you about being a woman and not feeling like it's okay for you to be a courageous leader and to be vulnerable... I, I would just encourage you to check out that TED Talk and consider reading the book if it really resonates with you. And here's a quote that I, I saw the other day on one of the social media sites from, the I guess she's doing a show on Oprah's own network as well. That's I, I have not watched that, but but this is where the graphic comes from, the quote. The courage, daring greatly, which the book again is about, is the courage to be vulnerable, to show up and be seen to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling, to have the hard conversations. Mm. And so I don't know if any of that's there for you. I know sometimes for me in, in the workplace that that kind of courageous transparency is not always encouraged, but boy, some powerful things can happen when we're willing to be transparent. And if you're angry, I think it's okay to be angry. <laughs> and I think it's okay to talk about that. And and again, not if what you really should be having is courageous one-on-one -on -one conversations, but I, it's just something, a couple of resources that came to mind as I was listening to your question. It's funny you mentioned that. Um, I love the idea of asking questions, by the way. I have found that that's really helpful. This isn't exactly in response to Chris's question. That's really helpful, particularly in tough situations with customers or clients I've had over my career or if someone gives you feedback you're not expecting and really sounds like a very conflict-centered situation, I found that asking questions is really, really helpful to really have a good dialogue and open up what's really going on. So I think that that's a great place to start from. And I love the comment you made. I had written that down even before you said that of, it, I think it's okay to be angry once in a while and, and, and to express some frustration. And if that comes out, that that can be okay sometimes from a leadership standpoint uh, for, for people to see that and to be, Chris used the word authentic. And authentic doesn't always mean that we share everything, but it does seem mean sometimes that we do share some of that, that frustration uh, with a team member or with the group of people we're working with. And that can be really helpful sometimes of uh, being able to communicate a message. So, so I, I like that a lot. I love your, I love your thoughts on that, Bonnie. Um, couple other thoughts I had too is just to, uh, one thing I like to do if it is something that allows for this is to spend some time just doing a little bit of writing. 
of uh, write out your thoughts. I know I always do that before we air one of these shows is I'll write out some of the thoughts I have and I'll try to get input from others. If someone's really, if a situation's really causing some frustration or some difficulty, I'll try to bounce it off someone that's not directly involved in the situation. And I find that often that perspective is really helpful. And often that person is Bonnie. In fact, if you know, you and I are in similar, have similar backgrounds, have had similar careers, but we're not often interacting with the same people. So I often find that that perspective from you is really helpful on determining what level and what kind of response I want to have. And I, I know from my relationship with Dave that he does not mean that you then share, Chris, this written feedback with other people. It's a way of reflecting and getting the the frame and, and paradigm in your own mind before you put whatever you've written away and go have these conversations face to face. So I know he means that, but since it's not explicitly said, I did want to mention that this is a, a way of preparing yourself to go have those courageous conversations and to do the conflict better than it sounds like you've been doing it. And, and so that, that can be helpful. In fact, we've mentioned a book before called Difficult Conversations, mm-hmm. and we've talked about the, is it the left-handed conversation? Is that what it's called, Dave? The Yeah, I forget their term in the book for it. I'm glad you mentioned this, by the way, because I did make that assumption and you clarified it, which is good. Uh, yes, by all means. I don't recommend handling difficult conversations in writing <laughs> by any means. It's good to process it for yourself in writing and then go have that conversation. I forget what they call it. It's in the first couple of chapters, but Difficult Conversations is a fantastic book. If you find yourself in a situation in in the workplace in life where you're dealing with a lot of conversation conflict right now, it is really, really helpful as a framework of processing things. So, um, The left-handed conversation, by the way, is where you can get in the mindset of what the other person might be thinking. So it helps you kind of get out of the I'm right and they're wrong mindset into, gosh, what would be another way that we might look at this? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a way of kind of relaxing that rigidity that comes from right versus wrong and kind of that 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 sense of chastising another person for what they did wrong. So Chris, I hope that's helpful and gives you a few ways you may go and a few resources. So let's move on to our next question. Hi, Dave. This is Hujefa from Abu Dhabi. Uh, Let me give you a bit of background before I start talking about my question. Uh, I started out as a software developer about 12 years ago, and today I am a software engineering manager, leading a team of uh, 40 developers and testers, building high-quality software for our clients. I aspire to start my own business as an entrepreneur with the mantra of creating intelligence. The challenge I have is uh, I'm currently on a full-time job and I have a family to support as well. Uh, Leaving my job and starting out seems a risky proposition and at times even daunting. Uh, So even though that thought is in my mind, I shy away and I'm kind of always wondering what if. I was hoping if you could advise me on what I could do as the first step to get my energies moving in that direction. Thanks for your help, Dave, and you have a great show. Husefa, thank you so much for this question. And I think before tackling the answer, it would be helpful to at least know some of my perspective on this as far as the um, the background I have with this, because I bring a different perspective to this question than other people might. So I actually, I started my own business when I was 23 or 24 years old. I worked full-time for three or four years out of my undergraduate degree and decided to leave 
and begin my own business. And it was not the world's most well thought out plan. Um, I essentially finished work on a Friday, started my business on a Monday, did not have a business plan, did not have the funding figured out, uh, did not have a lot of things figured out, and didn't have the experience, most importantly, to really be starting the work that I was doing, which was doing coaching and some of the things that I do on, on this show now. And, uh, and I realized that one of the mistakes that I made at that time was taking a pretty large jump without having thought through or really dialogued with people or really testing the waters a little bit. And so, so that may color some of my perspective on this and give you some thoughts that, that I would have as far as what would be some ways to approach this. Um, Bonnie, before I, I give those, anything come to mind for you as far as what, what things you'd be thinking of or resources or uh, ways to start framing how to look at a transition like this or a possible transition? Well, I do have some things to suggest, but before, just like you said, Dave, before I start to share and have that dialogue with Dave, I want to share my own perspective and my own sense of what it means to be an entrepreneur. Mm. To me, being an entrepreneur, the first thing I want to know from you is why. What is it that to you is kind of creating this aspiration to become an entrepreneur? What would that look like to you? For me, there are aspects of it that I enjoy. I love the creativity. Oh, I love the autonomy. Boy, do I ever not enjoy the risk. And so for me, the only time I ever started to own my own business and to do it was completely against my own choices. That was I was laid off from a company I have after I had worked there from when I had first graduated from college. And so it was a very difficult time in my life because I had been for more than 10 years accustomed to you always get that regular paycheck, that sense of stability. I did move up in the organization and, and have some nice executive sized bonuses. So I knew what it felt like to make a good portion of my income in a bonus situation. So there was some element of risk to my own compensation, but it was never the type of risk that would say, gosh, if you don't hit it, you're not going to be able to pay the mortgage. So I know for me in my life, I get really uncomfortable if it's an all or nothing kind of thing. So in the States here, there are sales jobs, for example, that are called full commission. And that means, boy, if you sell, you can make as much as you need to. No one's going to tell you you can't make anymore. But if you don't sell anything this month, you're not making anything. And I get really uncomfortable in situations like that in life and only entered into them because that was the only way that my mortgage was going to be paid. I was not married at the time. I was single and I owned my own home. So I felt, felt this sense of, Oh gosh, what's going to happen. And it's the funniest thing. As I look back on my younger self at that time in my life, during that season, I made more money than I've ever made in my entire life but you never would have known it if you knew how terrified I was, if you were a friend and you knew just how scared I was. And, and therefore I was living a life out of fear. And I think that's a really uncomfortable place for us to be in. Now I feel that I have the best of all worlds. I have a job where I have a lot of autonomy. I have a fairly secure paycheck. I'm a tenured professor, so 
most people would jokingly tell you you have to work pretty hard to get terminated from a, I don't like to be cavalier about it, but, but so there's, you know, a pretty decent sized chance I'm going to have a job from year to year. So that's, that's a nice sense of comfort. And then the consulting that I do and the work outside of that just adds to my somewhat secure income. So that's, that's a nice way for me to be. But I think especially talking about that full-time job, I have a lot of autonomy. It feels like I can be an entrepreneur in that job without the downside. You, you mentioned a number of times in your, your opening about risk and being uncomfortable with that. So I would kind of encourage you to think about, you, you might not, you might be able to find a way in a company where you can still create intelligence and live that dream, but perhaps not have quite the amount of risk. But that's again, that's, that's for myself, just kind of owning the sense that I don't love that I don't, I don't wake up in the morning and hunger for more risk, even though that I do really believe that risk taking is paramount to being able to do great things in this world. So mm-hmm. I don't want to say we should all never take risks, but I mean, financially, there's a difference. My students, I teach 18 to 22 year olds, and a lot of them want to go start their businesses at 22. And while I try not to be dismissive of people's dreams, and I'm also quite cognizant of the fact that amazing 22 year olds can go on and start the Facebooks of this world, et cetera, et cetera. I try to tell them, gosh, there's a lot you're going to learn early in your career. For me, it was wonderful to make mistakes on somebody else's dime. Well, somebody else is paying that paycheck and somebody else is taking those business risks who has more experience than I do, who I can learn from and not make those mistakes and have to lose things like one's house and one's income. And, and so that just for me, I enjoyed early in my career working for other entrepreneurs, learning from them, not having to take those grade of risks, but some people really do enjoy that. So those were a couple of things. I, I went a little bit longer than that on, than I wanted to, Dave, but I guess the first thing is, why do you want to go do this? Is there a way you can do this inside of a company and still, yes, we're all taking risks every day. If we're doing great things, we're taking risks. But perhaps when you think about your family, that's what really touched my heart as you were talking, you think about that family and you go, gosh, would there be a way where I don't have to risk things that we've earned together as a family that, that are important to us while still getting to exercise those creative inspirations you spoke about and being able to do more of an entrepreneurial that's, that's like being an entrepreneur, but doing it inside a company. One book I read that I just loved on this is called the empowered manager. And that's by an author named Peter Block. And oh gosh, I read this in my, I guess it was in my early thirties and it completely changed how I thought about things. Cause we think a lot of times about companies, they get to tell us what to do and here's, here's how to do it. And you don't have a lot of freedom. It really challenges us that when we go to work for a company, we owe it to them and we owe it to ourselves to be entrepreneurial for them. And to not feel like we're doing this because we're told to do it. And it's a thing where it's this real dependent relationship we have, the company, we're dependent on them like a parent and a child would be. And the book really encourages that the best work, the best workplaces, the best fertilizer for bringing out the best in people is when we're more entrepreneurial inside of companies and we're not doing it because we're told to do it, but because we're there sort of a sense of free, 
I'm here as a free entrepreneur. I just happen to be in this organization because I believe in what they're doing and I believe in the contributions I can make. Yeah, that relates exactly to my work with Dale Carnegie, Bonnie. It's one of the reasons I've been with Dale Carnegie over 10 years now is that I have a tremendous amount of autonomy with them. I get to do projects like this. I get to teach, do some consulting. And yet much of my work is very entrepreneurial, uh, making decisions, getting to take on projects I want to take on, getting to, uh, you know, to some extent, not participate in projects I'm not as excited about. And so I think that that is, that provides that aspect of it. So I think that that's really, um, that's a really great way to look at it. And so that, that'd be also the challenge I would have for you is, um, you know, what do you want from that? Like Bonnie said, and then the other, the second question would be, let's say you do decide you want to become a, a quote unquote entrepreneur. You do want to start your own venture is there's a lot of ways to do that. And they don't all involve a, a ton of risk. So if you do it the way I did, which is you decide <laughs> to stop working and to start your own business and literally finish work on a Friday and start on a Monday and have not thought through that, that's a tremendous amount of risk. Um, it has potentially a big upside, but it also has a potentially big downside too. There's a lot you can do that are in between those two extremes. And so one of the things I wrote down here, Bonnie, after listening to this question originally uh, from Husefa was... Um, the three things that I think are really important for people to have if they're an entrepreneur, first of all, skill in what it is that they're going to bring to the marketplace, um, a passion for that. And then finally, is there a market for what you're going to be doing? Now, you may may or not know all three of those things right now. And I think in particular, a lot of entrepreneurs don't always know, is there a market for what I would like to do? So before you go quit your job and potentially risk you know, family income and those types of things, is you might find a way, what's a way you could test that? So could you take on a project that maybe would be something you do on one evening a week or to take a Saturday, a couple of hours a month and to start doing some consulting work or take on a project or take on a client on the side and to test it out and to see if, you know, if I was, and you mentioned being a, being involved in software, is there a way you could get involved on a software project or helping to build um, uh, an application or uh, getting hiring and having someone hire you to work on a small project and test out to see what's really involved with that, to see what kind of commitments involved, to see what the market's going to bear, to see how that would work and how it feels and how much you enjoy it. If you were able to do those things up front, um, that could be really helpful. You know, this, this, this community is an example of that, Bonnie, Coaching for Leaders. You know, this is something that I typically do you know, an evening or two a week or on a Sunday afternoon, sometimes I'll do recording. And it's been able to, we've been able to build a really large community with this show now. There's over 3,000 people that listen to the show every week, which I'm amazed by. And yet I did not, um, I did very intentionally because of my past experience, not say, well, you know what, I'm going to, you know, to put everything else on my life on hold or careers and all that. And I'm going to work on something new. It was gradual and it's done slowly and it's done with very little risk by just spending a couple of hours a week and carving out that time. So if that's something that's a concern for you, and I know you mentioned that, that I would suggest to see what you could do to test run it, to see how much you like it, to see what's available and to see what, uh, you know, just, just what happens and what doesn't. And then it's really low risk and you're still having fun doing the things you like to do. And, you know, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint when you're starting up a company. And so if you can, if you can like the answer to this question, <laughs> so if you can uh, if you can do that and start off with just doing the test run, um, I'd really encourage that. And by the way, if you haven't already listened to it, a great episode is to go back and listen to uh, Rich Sheridan's 
example, the uh, who wrote Joy Inc. I'll put a link in the show notes. He gives a great story about how the work he did at Joy Inc. and creating the company culture he wanted to create and becoming an entrepreneur, he first test marketed when he was running a software team. So if you haven't already listened to that, I definitely go check that out. And he found that that worked and he used it as the inspiration to start his company. So I would, uh, I would really encourage you to go check that out for inspiration too. As always, a huge thanks to Bonnie for joining me for today's questions. And also a thank you to you for taking the time to submit your questions and especially to Chris and Josefa for sending in their questions this week. And every time we air one of these question answer shows, I always get at least one email, sometimes a couple emails of folks who will say something like, hey, here's something else for that person to consider that you guys didn't mention. And if you are having that thought right now, I would love to have you join the conversation and to put up a note so they see it as well. The best way to do that is to go to coachingforleaders.com slash 131 and to put a comment up there on the show notes. Also, all of the links, the references, the books we mentioned on today's show are there as well. And of course, if you have comment, question, or feedback about the show in general, uh, or about a future episode, you can email or not. You can email it certainly. Um, but the best way to get to all of the contact information is either by phone, email, or to submit a question online is at coachingforleaders.com/feedback. I should also mention that there are going to be some notes and references in the show notes that we did not mention on the show here today, since we didn't quite have time to get to everything. In particular, for Josefa's question, there's a few book references that I thought me might be really helpful for him as well, and for others who are moving forward in entrepreneurial pursuits. And so I've put links to there up uh, as well. So be sure to check that out, which uh, reminds me the next question and answer show is going to be coming up in four weeks on episode number 135. And the topic for that show is training. So anything related to training, if you have a question that you were looking for some perspective on, on how to train others. If you're training someone on a skill for the first time, maybe you are being trained yourself and you're looking for effective ways to tackle that. Maybe you are putting together a training strategy. Maybe you are designing a training program. Uh, Anything related to training is going to be fair game for that episode. So if you have a question, get it in uh, immediately to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback so I can consider it for that show. And of course, I do want to say a very special thank you to a whole bunch of folks who have jumped on this week and subscribed to the weekly update. And that includes Andy Crick, Dan Dwyer, Robert Lee, Dave Wargo, Fong Nguyen, Roger Sawada, Joe Hunek. Uh, oh, Joe, I'm going to botch your last name. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> Joe, thanks for subscribing. Uh, Huneki, I'm going to go with that. Jackie Gilbrook, Kevin Soon, Peter Skalisic, Sarma Malati, Yvonne Lachapel, Natalie Alton, Claire Tozer, Gina Wiener, 
Moniva Thielking and Eric Rogers. Thank you so much to all of you for subscribing to the weekly update. And you know, if you've listened for a while, that I do publish an email every Wednesday with an article that'll give you some more tools on how to improve your communication, human relations, and personal productivity, plus the outline and the notes from this show. And as I mentioned this week, there will be some things that we didn't get to talk about on the show. So if you'd like to get that in your inbox each week, go ahead and go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And you'll also get instant access to my video overview and and, uh, downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And speaking of Josefa, who left one of the questions on today's show, he also was very kind to write a written review on iTunes. Josefa, thanks for doing that. I so appreciate it. If this show's been valuable to you as well, please uh, leave a written review on iTunes or Stitcher, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes or coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. Hey, for those of you who do get the weekly updates and listen to the show, uh, know that there's some graphic stuff going on on the weekly emails that I am investigating. So if the graphics don't show up right for you, know that I'm working on it. And the same thing with the show artwork on your podcast app. If you're not seeing it, it'll be back soon. Anyway, I'll be back soon too next week. Thanks again and have a great week. Take care.